if you take the mindset away from it, like if someone never told you that having a flat foot was a problem, you probably wouldn't think about it as a problem. No. But because society, uh, shoe industry, healthcare industry have, have sort of propagated it for years, we all get to a place where we think having a flat foot's bad. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast, hosted by your soulmates from the Foot Collective. I'm Jim, and here at TFC, we're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up, so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. This week, I'm back with Tom to explore the concept of flat feet. Now, most people have heard of flat feet and may have even been told that they have flat feet. So throughout this episode, we delve into what flat feet actually are and how they can come about. We talk through the context in which they may or may not be an issue, and we explore some simple tips to help you get started in improving your arch function and control. If you're struggling to make progress in your rehab, please feel free to reach out as we can either help you directly with our online programs or consultations, or we can point you in the right direction of other practitioners or resources that can help you. Before we get started with this week's episode, I wanted to share a quick story from our community. Janine Devery is a member of our Explorer program. This journey has been really interesting to me because it's had a psychological as well as physical side. I hurt my ankle about two weeks into the journey and normally that would throw me, um, be full of doubt, wondering what I'm doing. But with the encouragement of the team, I continued and I'm really glad I did because now at the end of the journey, I feel I've got less pain, I've got more mobility, and I've got a sense of hope and accomplishment. And I really like that. Sometimes when I was putting up my dancing videos or just mucking around, um, I think I was a little bit, no, I know I was embarrassed about how weak or restricted I was, but I've learned from this journey that it's really not important And it's all about the process and not the outcome. And that's really a big deal for me. So I'm going to continue to do this journey and just focus on the process. To this end, I'm going to add a little bit more of ground living into my life because that really makes sense to me to have that daily practice, um, you know, with day-to-day things. And I will continue my journey. Thank you to everyone who has encouraged me. I really have appreciated it. If you're like Janine and have a specific foot or ankle condition, issues up the chain at your knees, hips or back, or just want to improve your overall movement health, the Explorer program is for you. To learn more, head to thefootcollective.com forward slash explorer or head to the link in our show notes. All right, Tommy, we're back from our travels. That we are, James. (laughs) Back from Europe. Yeah, yeah. So Tom and I were both in Europe for about four... Well, I was there four weeks. Yeah, you were four there five weeks. Mm. Um, just coincidentally at the same time. We didn't even catch up over no. there. We were both in Spain, but we avoided each other. Yeah, like uh, the, like the, the plague. plague. <laughs> I stayed on my side of Spain, you stay on yours. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, just independent trips. I went with my... Um, partner and my family now my family. partner and little baby and you went with your partner and um, her family we had it yeah true there you go yeah. you were there for a wedding mm. um but yeah fun trip gave us a good pause reset came back um but we're back in action now with our regular podcasts 
And today we are exploring flat feet bow, bow, bow. and how terrible and dangerous they are. <laughs> oh, so dangerous. <laughs> or rather how, how important it is actually for your foot to be able to flatten. Um, but yeah, it's a, obviously flat feet is a, a bit of a notorious topic. Um, they definitely have been demonized, I think, over the years in the sort of foot health industry and have been blamed for all manner of different problems and conditions so we thought it'd be good to explore all of that bust some myths potentially and uh yeah just just give some practical tips for how to think about foot posture how to think about flat feet and how to um go about training uh in those contexts Mm. so why don't we just start what what are flat feet it's a great question (laughs) what are flat feet I believe um, Mr. Nick St. Louis once said a, a, a flat foot is just a positional, uh, a position that your foot takes up at one period of time. Mm. You got real specific. But I think globally speaking, people understand that a flat foot is a foot that goes into what we know as pronation. So essentially that inside arch on your foot goes to the ground, your foot looks really flat. Mm-hmm. I think that's where what everyone's sort of general idea of a flat foot is. And like you said, it's been demonized to no end of it's dangerous and it's bad and it's it's going to cause knee issues it's going to cause issues, back, back issues. issues it's going to stop you from running you're going to get plantar fasciitis from it like all sorts of problems have been put down to having flat feet and, uh, and a lot of that uh mind you is based on just looking at someone standing and saying oh your uh feet are flat or the arches are on the ground so therefore you need support otherwise yeah. you're going to end up with all of these issues yeah and well, Whilst some people might be uh, needing support at some point, for the most part, they probably don't. Mm. So as we often say, like your foot has 33 joints, it's quite a lot of joints and it's designed to move. And one of the biggest things that people probably correlate with flat feet is getting orthotics or having supportive shoes, which essentially are trying to stop you from using those 33 joints. Mm. So again, the idea that we keep trying to stop the flat foot posture is probably just such a misconception and has sort of been going around for at least 40 years. Mm. So I think when, when you start to try and break it apart and understand it and understand why having a flat foot is actually really important, yes, it has 33 joints, but let's make it more simple. Like your foot is made up of those three sections that we constantly talk about. You've got the rear foot, the midfoot, and the forefoot. And when we talk about the rear foot, we're really looking at your heel. The midfoot's looking at like the arch of your foot and then the forefoot's like looking at your toes. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about flat feet, we're really looking at that rear foot and midfoot and what's happening there. So when you are walking and you, your heel hits the ground and then your foot goes down, you take away onto that leg, your arch should drop, should go into pronation. And what is essentially happening there is that your heel and your midfoot are like rolling in just a little bit just to allow you to absorb force. Would you agree? That sounds about right. Sounds right to me. Yeah. Got to absorb that force. Yeah, you have to absorb the force because yeah. if you were trying to walk with a, a rigid foot and try to absorb force, the 33 joints that are functioning through that foot are not going to be absorbing the force. So guess where the force goes? It goes up the chain. Mm-hmm. So that could either go to your ankle, your knee, your shin, your hip, your back, but it's going to go somewhere else because every time you walk, you have to absorb the force. So you want that foot to go flat. And when we really look at like, this idea of the arch people have to remember like there's a reason you have the arch like you weren't just given an arch for no reason and then like it drops for some reason like 
it, it's a part of the biomechanical design for you to absorb force more efficiently and to not use as much muscular strain mm. which i think is really important like we have that arch to actually help us be more efficient not to cause us problems yeah which again if if you take the mindset away from it like if someone never told you that like, having a flat foot was a problem you probably wouldn't think about it as a problem no but because society uh, shoe industry healthcare industry have, have sort of propagated it for years we all get to a place where we think having a flat foot's bad yeah and this is something that we've come back to in pretty much all of the podcasts that that we've talked about when it comes to feet is that the pronation or that flattening is a very important aspect of efficient movement where the problems tend to come is when you can't get back out of that flattened posture so mm. i think a, a good analogy that i'm just thinking of is the spine obviously similar to the foot there's a lot of joints in the spine and the reason for a joint to exist is for movement mm. so and i think all of this comes off the back of the trend in healthcare and especially musculoskeletal healthcare to look at good posture versus bad posture and good positions and bad positions and good movements bad movements and there was this view for quite a while that, um, you know, foot posture, a good posture was with the, with a sort of neutral arch. I think it was, people were aware that a really high arch might not be good either. Um, or they thought that, but a flat arch or a flat foot was definitely bad. And similarly with the spine, you would think, oh, the, a rounded posture is really bad and a straight posture is really good. But being in a straight posture all the time wouldn't be good. This is what all the research is telling us and and what sort of makes sense biomechanically and physiologically is that if the joints are there, then they should be moving through their range of motion regularly through different activities. And if they're not, if they're stuck in a certain position, then they're going to miss out on certain um, sort of movement nutrients or loads that are actually important for their function. So the same thing goes for the spine. You want to be moving it through flexion, extension, rotation, lateral flexion, all of these different beautiful movements of the spine that you can do. And you want to be able to uh, maintain a neutral position when the context uh, needs it. Mm. So the same thing, I think the same kind of thing goes for the foot. foot. Yeah. And sort of, it's not probably too many times you really need to see like that neutral foot posture, right? Like if you're using it, it's just going to go through the cycle. It's Mm. like the gait cycle is the one that we always look at and we've talked about it a fair bit. Like all the gait cycle work is done on flat ground. Like it's because we walk on nothing but flat ground. But if you go out and do a hike barefoot, you're walking on all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. Your feet are getting to such interesting positions like and you want to be able to make the most of it. And like if it can't absorb so it can't flatten and then it can't go back up into that rigid arch... It's really hard to walk around barefoot nature. Yeah. Well, that well, we before this podcast, mm-hmm. we were just playing around in the soulmate mm-hmm. and sort of doing a rock hopping challenge. Mm-hmm. And I lost. It's, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but, you know, rock hopping is one of my favorite things to do. And, and when you are stepping on rocks, they're all at different angles. Mm-hmm. And my foot has to go into like actually an amazing amount of pronation, a lot more pronation than it would go into on flat ground, but that's how it adapts to that surface. Like you said, nature isn't just flat and level. And when there's angles involved, you actually need a large range of motion in both directions to be able to adapt to that surface and to efficiently move through that surface. Otherwise I'd just be walking on the outside of my foot the whole time mm. trying to trying to absorb force under these rocks and i'd have, be having a terrible time and i'd 
probably into something. Yeah. And what's really interesting, like when you when you look at it, um, let's say we are walking on flat ground or we are running on flat ground to really put it into perspective. There, there's a whole school of thought, which makes a lot of sense that let's say your foot never goes flat and then you try to push up and push off with a rigid lever. That's going to take a lot more muscular energy than it would if your foot just dropped down a little bit to then spring back mm. because you have... Uh, these like non-contractile tissues like the fascia the ligamentous stuff that when stretched they want to naturally recoil and if they naturally recoil like a rubber band yeah Mm. all of a sudden you get this like free use of elastic energy so you don't have to put as much muscular effort in so if you're someone who's used to locking that foot up and never letting it go flat 100 percent, there's no wonder you're going to have foot problems calf problems Mm. achilles problems like Mm. all of the muscular effort that you're putting in that you don't need to because you're not allowing like that exposure to pronation it's no surprise that like, oh, something else is doing the work my foot should. Mm, mm. Yeah. And yeah, so the same thing goes for both high arches and flat arches is that both of them are missing the other direction. Mm. And that will likely end up with issues at some point, especially if you're doing high load activities that require or that benefit a lot from more efficiency well that's it and like a lot of things that we want to do say sports or activities like naturally we're going to require our foot to do something Mm. and if your foot's unable to do that but you keep doing that sport then eventually something will give just because that's what the foot is designed to do yeah and it's not that if you cure all foot problems then you're going to be completely fine up the chain because there is load fatigue pain like heaps of other stuff that we've talked about but it's like it is a very important part Mm. And I, I do think to try and just like sum up all of that, pronation is good. Like pain is good. Like these are just things that happen that if we have the right mindset towards them, then they are very, very good. But to your point, if you're someone who's always stuck in pronation, yeah, you know, you're someone who's got a shifted talus or something and it's all the way medially, my foot's turned out and there's some stuff going on. Sounds like you might need to do a fair bit of work to try and get it back and like you probably want to, be able to get that foot moving in the other direction Mm. but in the general sense your foot going flat is really good yeah yeah and that's yeah like you said to summarize when you just look at a static you know if you're just standing there not moving and you look at your feet it's not actually going to tell you all that much about how well your foot can go in the opposite direction it will tell you you know what your resting posture is like and maybe that has something to do with your muscular control and um you know activation but maybe it also is to do with just your structural joint sort of positioning as well probably a bit of both but what is more interesting is how that arch functions through movement and how how you're able to uh lift the arch through movement uh, efficiently. And so one of the mechanisms that contributes to that is something called the windlass mechanism, which is basically where your big toe goes into extension as it would naturally through walking and running. And that tensions the plantar fascia, which then actually lifts the arch back into sort of supination as a which is the opposite of pronation. Yeah, so people could try this at home. Like if, yeah. you, if you just stand up, look at your feet and then try to pull your big toe up towards your shin with your hand. What you should see is that arch, that medial arch should rise. Like it has to rise because of the way that the big toe tendon and the plantar fascia all get taut or tight. Mm -hmm. And to your point, so when we're pushing off 
from walking or from running, it's the same position as you're doing there with your hand as you pull your toe up. You need that to happen. But for a lot of people, because they, if they are someone who doesn't have the control into pronation or they are someone who's really stuck in pronation, oftentimes that might be sort of related with like a bunion or something mm. or like just a lack of that big toe extension. Or so the, then... Like a hallux rigidus, hallux mm. limitus that mm. we explored on our last podcast. Yeah. All of a sudden, like you're going to lose that, again, that free sort of elastic-like energy that you'd get to push off. So to try and get into those positions... Because you're still going to be walking, you're still going to be doing things. It's just going to take more effort, mm. particularly more muscular effort, which means more energy, which means less efficiency, which is going to lead to you having like more muscular fatigue and potentially like long term, like other just like general body fatigue because mm. you're constantly having to work harder. Yeah, and yeah, other areas because the big toe it seems like such a small little joint, and how could it be that important? But if the big toe is not doing its job properly, then other areas have to compensate. That's just how the body works, and. So that's a really good test. And also something to consider is that if your big toe is limited and you're unable to push through it, then you're likely to be sort of rotating your foot around your big toe as you walk. It might be subtle, but that can also contribute to more of that flattening and that pronation or that inability to come back into supination. And I'm a man who loves physics and biomechanics. And for anyone who's interested, when you turn that foot out, you have three tendons that run under that inside ankle bone. One that goes to your big toe, one that goes to your four other toes, and the other one's called tib post, which we've also done a mm. lovely uh, podcast on. The actual mechanics to it, it's much harder for those muscles to contract when your foot's turned all the way out. Yeah. Like the angle in which they have to go around, it doesn't mean they can't. You can learn anything. The body's amazingly adaptable. But for most people who have that, they're probably not used to experiencing loads through those things to begin with and that's one of the reasons why you know your foot might get turned out yeah so not only do you naturally just stop using the toes because you can't use them well you're you're losing the windlass you're losing just general function and you're probably going to cause a lot of like strain into that medial aspect of your ankle and it becomes very easy to understand that you're just working harder to try and achieve the same thing if your foot was you know more mobile and subtle with the way it wants to move Mm mm-hmm so that's the windlass mechanism related to big toe extension. Like Tom said, you can test that on yourself. And if your big toes feel stiff into extension, then, and you are sort of more that over pronator or you sort of feel stuck in that flat foot position, that's probably a really good place to start mm. is just Super loosening easy. up your big toe. We've got a bunch of exercises in our um, community that you can do to start with that in our free community. Um, but, you know, just keep it simple. Get on all fours with your big toes in extension and rock down with your hips down towards your heels. You'll feel the stretch and gradually you can increase how far you're stretching. It's and that's probably... And you just mentioned a great word there. The word hips. Yes. Oh, the that's hips. That's what we were getting to. Yeah, we love the hips <laughs> because they have such a huge role to play when it comes to how that foot's positioned and moved. And again, I, um, I think you really like talking about the hips with this stuff. But I, the, before I throw it back, the interesting part for people to understand is if you, you have like one hip joint and it moves like a lot. So you have one each side, so much freedom of movement, but you have 33 joints down at the foot. So if you find that those 33 joints, which give a lot of feedback to your nervous system, start getting stiff and they're not moving as well as they should, the natural tendency for your nervous system is to stop moving it, to make Mm -hmm. it more of like a rigid thing, whether that's completely flat or completely rigid with the high arch, just so it doesn't have to experience that load. And where do you think the movement gets stopped up the chain? The hip. 
Yeah. So that's why you always find there's a, a stiff hip in some direction that occurs with people who have like stiff feet. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically, the nervous system is trying to lock everything up to avoid injury <laughs> at a basic level. So, yeah, the hips and actually by the time this podcast, by the time you're listening to this podcast, we would have just released a couple of days ago on the main Instagram page on the Foot Collective Instagram, a video about arch control and arch activation. So you can watch that to get a visual demonstration of this. But even if you just stand up, have a look down at your feet and just knock your knees together and then spread them apart. So keep your feet, you know, about hip width apart or a bit narrower is fine. Knock your knees together slowly. Watch what happens to your arch as you knock your knees together. Now, spread them apart. Don't move your feet and keep your big toes planted into the ground. Then spread your knees apart and watch what happens to your arch. What most people will find, some more than others, but you will be able to see at least some movement happening in the arch. As you knock your knees together, the arch will flatten and the foot will pronate. As you spread the knees apart, the arch will lift, the foot will supinate. Um, Some of that will be affected by your midfoot mobility. You might find that you're really, as you spread your knees apart, you really struggle to keep your big toe down planted into the ground. That would be related to a lack of midfoot mobility, most likely. Um, But you'll see that movement and you'll start to feel, especially as you spread your hips, uh, spread your knees apart, you'll start to feel your hips activating. So that is a principle that we call hip torque. And it's basically the knees going in and out like that is driven from the rotation of the hips primarily. And so that hip rotation and that control through the hips has a big influence on the control through the arch and the ability for your foot to go in and out of pronation. Mm, Which is incredible. Because it's, awesome. yeah. it's like that's the the body's incredibly designed in that like you know there's not much weight down at the foot like our feet relatively don't weigh much compared to say like all the musculature around our hips mm. and like there's a reason for that we want control at the end and all the power up near our hips and like to get the right access you need to have like a good subtle foot and like hips that move and like what's super interesting about that idea is like when the you know you turn the hips out and you're like you can see your arch lift like this happens without like any specific muscular effort down at the feet mm. like this is just the way that the bones and like the tendons and the sort of non-contractile tissue are sort of designed or, or lined up in a way that to, to allow these things to happen naturally and it's a really cool way to see because like what you end up finding when you get into walking and running mechanics with it all is like one foot can affect the other it'll affect the way it lands the way it moves mm. just because like both hips have to talk to each other across your pelvis and then down the other side and it links all that up to your other arm which is quite interesting but mm-hmm. like it's so incredible to see if you get things moving the way the things are kind of designed all of a sudden like just movement in general gets a bit easier which can definitely help with like your pain experience yeah and it gives you a bunch of confidence back too. Yeah, movement starts to feel better mm. and makes you want to do more movement. And that's the positive cycle. It feels better, starts to get, probably starts to get a little bit less painful. Mm. Obviously, as we've talked about a lot, there's other factors that come into pain. But generally, when it comes to musculoskeletal pain, as you start to gradually build more capacity and more movement options and more confidence, then pain starts to diminish. 
And then that's that positive feedback loop that you want to get into. And then you want to do more movement because it's feeling better and so on and so forth. On a more philosophical note, I have heard that the end result of your our nervous system is movement. Like the whole reason yeah. we are who we are is we move, we talk, we see, we eat, we drink, we do everything, our heart beats. It's all movement. The only reason for our brain and nervous system yeah. to exist is basically movement. Yeah. So when, once you allow things to start moving, all of a sudden things start feeling better. It's because mm. it's what you're kind of wired to want. It just yeah. takes a little bit of time to reconnect with that feeling. Yeah. And and to, to sort of bring it full circle, what stops people is is a lot of it is to do with fear at the deeper level and mm. what contributes to fear of movement is demonization mm. of certain movements or the uh, belief that has been passed on by you know maybe traditional healthcare approaches mm. that your body is naturally flawed or genetically flawed because it, your foot is flat for example mm. <laughs> and therefore you should you know you should really be careful of running or jumping or anything that's going to put a lot of load because your foot is so flawed. And it's like, well, how about teaching me how to train the foot? Mm. How about, yeah, taking into account all of these ways that big toe extension or hip control or ankle function will affect the way the load's experienced through the foot and just gradually build up to movements and yes your foot might not look the same as someone else's foot and that's okay if you can gradually increase your capacity and your control strength mobility coordination then there's nothing stopping you from getting into those activities enjoying them and having fun mm. and which is a key part having fun yeah which can lead us on to our next topic which is a fun topic shoes shoes no other shoes <laughs> i wonder what we'll say about shoes today yeah supportive yeah uh, you need arch control cushion supportive yeah so this is this is an interesting one and actually this is probably a good time to um just bring this analogy and it's it's an extension of an analogy that i heard from nick but shoes are essentially clothing and they're clothing that we invented to protect our feet from harm which is awesome. It's <laughs> we, amazing. We want to protect our feet. We, we don't want sharp things, hot things, poisonous things, venomous things. Sticks. Yeah, <laughs> sticks. Yeah. Um, on a personal note. Um, and we, yeah, so we want to protect our feet naturally. Um, and clothing itself is probably similarly, you know, protect our, it's probably more from cold, but you could think about armor as, as protection. UV from back sun in the day. too. Yeah, like UV protection. Cold in the water when you're wearing a sweat, like a, a, yeah. a wetsuit. Yeah. So there's, there's elements of protection, even if it's, um, like dignity protection. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I was just imagining this hypothetical scenario, say in the 1800s when we, when humans started this industrial school system and every all the kids were sitting in chairs, they started sitting in chairs all day to learn academic things. And, um, you know, imagine, imagine then that someone was like, oh, all these kids are struggling to sit up straight in a quote-unquote good posture all day in their chairs. We need some kind of supportive clothing mm. to help support them in this good, straight, neutral spinal posture. And that would, that's kind of a response to an unnatural environment, which is the chair. Mm. When we were never meant to sit in chairs all day. In fact, we never had chairs until quite recently in our evolutionary history. 
So it's like, well, we're, you know, we've got this unnatural environment that is the chair. So we need to support the spine with clothing. So, you know, he invents, he or she invents mm-hmm. this uh, supportive clothing kind of uh, influenced by the fashion of the time, which was the corset. Mm. And it keeps the spine nice and upright and the kids get in there and eventually catches on. It becomes part of the school uniform. You mm. have to wear this supportive clothing if you want to come to school. And that's just how it works at school. And sure, some kids will rip that off as soon as they get into the playground or as soon as they get home, but some kids might just leave it on. And while it is on, their movement pat- patterns are affected. They can't move as through as much range of motion. They can't express as much power and strength because they're not able to move through that range of motion. And, you know, maybe they can still walk, they can still run, they can still jump, they can still climb, but everything is just a little bit changed by this supportive clothing that restricts them. By the time they become a teenager, if they're, if they're in this supportive clothing from five years old, for example, and maybe, maybe people start to put them in that supportive clothing mm. e- even sooner because they're preparing them for mm. school. And they, you know, everyone wants to have their kid in the best spinal posture mm. possible. By the time they become a teenager, if you assessed that kid's spine without the support, what are you going to see? You're going to start seeing some range of motion deficits because they're not, they're not exploring that range. You're going to start seeing some strength deficits. You're definitely going to start seeing some control deficits when they start trying to move in different ways. And then the, the temptation would be, well, geez, the, these spines are really, they're not working properly. I think we need to support them more. Mm. I think we need to get them into a tighter corset i think you know i think they need more support and then a whole industry would develop around these different technologies to support the spine in different ways and it's like a a, a, what's the word like a self in in the self-perpetuating self-perpetuating yeah and it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy well these spines are really flawed uh we need to support them all the time the more you support them the more they need the more they sort of look like they need the support and at the end of the day, it's kind of all in response to an unnatural environment, which is the chair. So all of that is basically the story of supportive shoes. But the unnatural environment is the flat level ground that we're always exposed to. And the shoes are obviously, it's to do with your arch. That's a great story. Thanks. Well, I was actually really captivated by <laughs> yeah. that. I have to thank Nick for making that come into your brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, two, two, two key points really hit home though, like thinking about the shoe stuff with it. And one was from a child's perspective, which is actually kind of scary now that I think about it. For, for people who don't understand, like, no, like, uh, obviously our bones develop across time and like we have growth plates. And if we injure growth plates, it can be quite detrimental to the way that children form like the length of bones and like the way they move down the track. Putting unnatural footwear on in certain ways is going to change the way you move a lot, for yeah. relatively for some, particularly when they wear those big stonkers that some of them mm. have to do to school. Mm. I just now wonder like what's happening at a more sort of bone growth, growth plate level when we mm. constantly make kids run and do all these things in these heavy shoes, which kind of made me lead into like the second point of like, there's a ton of... Um, schools that obviously make you wear a certain uniform and stuff still and there's there's really good reasons for that but the shoe part where they're, like, they're really heavy there's so many people who flick their legs like, mm. and they've got this extra weight on the end of their legs and what ends up happening is like you know, again like we said before your foot's really light it's really <laughs> light you go out in somewhere between and a lot of those shoes are going to be between 250 to 350 grams 
per leg. Now we know from a performance standpoint, that's terrible for mm. oxygen consumption, mm. but we don't really look at it from like a mechanical change of load and what happens at the knee. And most of you'll find that kids flick their leg. The hamstrings stop sort of doing their job. Like they're not moving the way that they would naturally without the shoe on. So like what's happening, they've created a pendulum. Yeah. So then all of a sudden everything's working different. Doesn't mean you can't adapt to it, but that adaption has a cost. Mm. And like it will change the subtlety of the way that you would move without the shoe, which is again, not good or bad, but it's definitely worth understanding that getting into shoes, like, you know, you said five really early, or even earlier, earlier, and changing that- the way that the foot works and then adding extra load to the foot and then expecting the body just to figure it out. It will, but probably at a cost. At a cost. Down the track. Exactly. And there will be a limit to how far mm. it can adapt uh, outside of its natural, the way it would and naturally move. And I think that's like a really good point is like everyone has their own sort of genetically predetermined limiting place. Not many people ever get close to it because we don't know how to train that mm. hard. But like you just go super simple. A bone will eventually snap if you bend it hard enough. Yeah. At some point it will break. Yeah. And like... There's no amount of training that's going to prepare you for it because it's just at some point that's that's life. Whether it's that you've gone really quickly or like I just keep forcing it, like yeah, it'll break. There is physical limits. Yeah, there are physical limits, and yeah. So the premise of that story is that this shoe, the supportive shoe industry, self perpetuates itself by starting kids younger and younger, and it's it's kind of gross actually if you think about it because it's like. You see a bait, you see a two-year-old with flat feet. It's like, oh, we better. The, the culture is now we better support that. Um, better support that foot. Imagine seeing a two-year-old with kind of a bit wobbly spinal control, mm. and you go, oh, we better support that. Yeah. What's going to happen to their spine? It's yeah. not going to develop naturally. It's not going. It's like it doesn't even get the chance because it's just supported this whole time. Mm. So it's yeah. When you think about it like that, it's it's like pretty icky um but that is what has happened in our culture is that everyone has this perception of certain foot postures as bad babies don't develop and kids don't develop a sort of normal functioning arch until like up towards seven eight nine go look at photos from like year one through years like year five six is what i remember like learning at uni of like what happens to their foot posture and hip posture and it changes really drastically and everyone will remember the baby's hands as they're walking the hands are out super wide the legs are out super wide they're trying to get stable because they're trying to fight against gravity and as they get more proficient they stop having to have the arms flailing. The legs come a little bit closer. And what did you say about, oh, my, if my hips are out, my arches are going to be different. If my hips are in, yeah. my arches are going to be different. Naturally, as you are trying to evolve in the world with gravity, because when you're you know, a little fetus, you never had to. You've got like a nice little aquatic environment. It's different. So mm-hmm. when gravity becomes in, it, it'll, it all happens just naturally. Yeah. Because of evolution. You need to have the option to explore the different movements so that your body can learn to do it itself. (laughs) 100%. Otherwise, it never learns to do it itself and then therefore it sort of seemingly always needs support. But there is always a way to get out of that support. You know, if you're someone who has painful feet or, you know, stiff, weak, irritable feet and any of the conditions that we've spoken before on this podcast, then we're not saying you should go straight to barefoot as always. No. We're not saying you should go straight to barefoot, but you should gradually transition and spend more time in 
either barefoot or in sort of more natural footwear, barefoot footwear, and do some exercises, do some big toe exercises, do some arch control exercises, do some hip exercises, anything to integrate the way your lower body works together and you will be able to you will be able to get out of get out of that cycle of support. Well, that's it. Like, there's heaps of um, Takes appro- approaches. There's heaps of stuff, but like the principle of your body, like each joint needs to move. Because if the joint don't move, it doesn't move. You don't move where you don't move. Yeah. So like, it's really hard to, to do anything after that. So you know, you can train things in isolation. You can train things in t- you know, conjunction. You can add the coordination in. I think that the very two important parts of it is remember like it's a process and a journey and it will always take time Mm. and just enjoy playing with the journey. Like you have to have fun doing it. Like there has to be more than just, I need this to move. Otherwise my life will be like terrible. It's like, no, like you'll still live. Like you're still alive. Would would you want to move better than, yeah, like you can, but just make sure you have fun with it. Yeah. Because it becomes tedious otherwise. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, that's probably a good place to wrap up. And that's exactly why we have the programs that we have. We've obviously got the, the free, all the free stuff in our community that you can go and check out gets you started. If you want to go deeper and really commit to a process, we've got the Explorer program that really takes you through all the nitty gritty details and helps you build your own program, build your own routine. And if you want to get more playful with it, we've got our products, Soulmate, Hacky, if you combine those two and you just balance for five, 10 minutes a day, you will actually, you'll definitely see results if you're consistent with it and it's fun. You'll have a lot of fun. Yeah. We've been having a lot of fun with it this morning <laughs> and uh, there'll be, we're actually on that note, we are in the process of creating a whole new sort of training, a soulmate training, which is in the form of routines that we're calling soulmate sessions. So you can stay tuned for that over the next sort of three to four weeks that we'll be coming out with some of those and we'll just be having an expanding library just to make it super accessible. You just click play, watch for five minutes, follow along. You might want to do another one or you might just want to wait till the next day and you just tick it off and it'll all be play-based, task-based and you before you know it, you'll have done your five minutes and you probably will want more. Yeah, so you want more. That's the idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm having a lot of fun creating it. We're having a lot of fun experimenting with it and um, I'm looking forward to seeing how everyone goes with it. Competitions are starting. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So we'll wrap up there. If you have uh, a condition, like I said, there's those things you can go to or Tom and I also have um, limited spots, but we do offer telehealth consultations. Um And we do have a growing network of professionals as well. So feel free to reach out if you are struggling to make progress on your sort of foot health journey. And if you've got any topics or conditions that you'd want us to explore in the podcast, please do let us know. And also, if you get value out of these podcasts, um, a a review on the podcast app, wherever you're listening to it, is really helpful to us just to help reach more people, basically, Mm. because that's the whole reason we're doing it. We want to help more people get the right information um, and have fun doing it and have fun doing it exactly cool thanks for listening alright see you everyone catch you next time bye Bye. thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast to stay up to date with all things TFC join our brand new free community inside you'll find a growing library of education training and resources to help you resolve common conditions restore natural function and explore your body's potential with a community that's there to support you along the way to join Just head to thefootcollective.com or you'll find the link in our show notes.